Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Mastery The Laird of Malcolm Castle felt the presence of loved ones about him in the darkness as he wandered up and down the lonely strand. He gazed and listened, and even fancied he caught occasional glimpses of a faint light. I am not mistaken, he said to himself. I saw a ship's light, one of the lights on the Duncan. Oh, why can't I see in the dark? All at once the thought rushed across him that Paginel said he was a nyctalope, and could see at night. He must go and wake him. The learned geographer was sleeping as sound as a mole. A strong arm pulled him up out of the sand and made him call out, Who goes there? It is I, Paginel. Who? Glenarvan. Come, I need your eyes. My eyes, replied Paginel, rubbing them vigorously. Yes, I need your eyes to make out the Duncan in this darkness, so come. Confound the Nyctalopia, said Paginel inwardly, though delighted to be of any service to his friend. He got up and shook his stiffened limbs, and, stretching and yawning as most people do when roused from sleep, followed Glenarvan to the beach. Glenarvan begged him to examine the distant horizon across the sea, which he did most conscientiously for some minutes. "'Well, do you see nothing?' asked Glenarvan. "'Not a thing. Even a cat couldn't see two steps before her.' "'Look for a red light or a green one.' her larboard or starboard light. I see neither a red nor a green light. Oh, it's pitch dark, replied Paginel, his eyes involuntarily beginning to close. For half an hour he followed his impatient friend, mechanically letting his head frequently drop on his chest, and raising again with a start. At last he neither answered nor spoke, and he reeled about like a drunken man. Glenarvan looked at him, and found he was sound asleep. Without attempting to wake him, he took his arm, led him back to his hole, and buried him again comfortably. At dawn next morning all the slumberers started to their feet, and rushed to the shore, shouting, Hurrah! Hurrah! as Glenarvan's loud cry, The Duncan! The Duncan! broke upon his ear. There she was, five miles out, her courses carefully reefed, and her steam half up. Her smoke was lost in the morning mist. The sea was so violent that a vessel of her tonnage could not have ventured safely nearer the sandbanks. Glenarvan, by the aid of Paginel's telescope, closely observed the movements of the yacht. It was evident that John Mangles had not perceived his passengers, 
for he continued his course as before. But at this very moment Thalcave fired his carbine in the direction of the yacht. They listened and looked, but no signal of recognition was returned. A second and a third time the Indian fired, awakening the echoes among the sand hills. At last a white smoke was seen issuing from the side of the yacht. "'They see us!' exclaimed Glenarvan. "'That's the cannon of the Duncan!' A few seconds, and the heavy boom of the cannon came across the water, and died away on the shore. The sails were instantly altered, and the steam got up so as to get as near the coast as possible. Presently, through the glass, they saw a boat lowered. "'Lady Helena will not be able to come,' said Tom Austin. "'It is too rough.' "'Nor John Mangles,' added McNabbs. "'He cannot leave the ship.' "'My sister! My sister!' cried Robert, stretching out his arms towards the yacht, which was now rolling violently. "'Oh, how I wish I could get on board!' said Glenarvan. "'Patience, Edward, you will be there in a couple of hours,' replied the Major. Two hours. But it was impossible for a boat, a six-oared one, to come and go in a shorter space of time.' Glenarvan went back to Thalcave, who stood beside Thaouka, with his arms crossed, looking quietly at the troubled waves. Glenarvan took his hand, and, pointing to the yacht, said, "'Come.' The Indian gently shook his head. "'Come, friend,' repeated Glenarvan. "'No,' said Thalcave gently. "'Here is Thaouka, and there the Pampas,' he added, embracing with a passionate gesture the wide-stretching prairies. Glenarvan understood his refusal. He knew that the Indian would never forsake the prairie, where the bones of his fathers were whitening, and he knew the religious attachment of these sons of the desert for their native land. He did not urge Thalcave longer, therefore, but simply pressed his hand. Nor could he find it in his heart to insist, when the Indian, smiling as usual, would not accept the price of his services, pushing back the money, and saying, "'For the sake of friendship.' Glenarvan could not reply, but he wished at least to leave the brave fellow some souvenir of his European friends. What was there to give, however? Arms, horses, everything had been destroyed in the unfortunate inundation, and his friends were no richer than himself. He was quite at a loss how to show his recognition of the disinterestedness of this noble guide, when a happy thought struck him. He had an exquisite portrait of Lady Helena in his pocket, a chef d'oeuvre of Lawrence. This he drew out and offered to Thalcave, simply saying, "'My wife.' The Indian gazed at it with a softened eye, and said, "'Good and beautiful.' Then Robert and Paganel and the Major, and the rest, exchanged touching farewells with the faithful Patagonian. Thalcave embraced them each, and pressed them to his broad chest. Paganel made him accept a map of South America and the two oceans, which he had often seen the Indian looking at with interest. It was the most precious thing the geographer possessed. As for Robert, he had only caresses to bestow, and these he lavished on his friend, not forgetting to give a share to Thaouka. The boat from the Duncan was now fast approaching, and in another minute had glided into a narrow channel between the sandbanks and run ashore. "'My wife?' were Glenarvan's first words. 
"'My sister?' said Robert. "'Lady Helena and Miss Grant are waiting for you on board,' replied the coxswain. "'But lose no time, Your Honour. We have not a minute, for the tide is beginning to ebb already.' The last kindly adieus were spoken, and Thalcave accompanied his friends to the boat, which had been pushed back into the water. Just as Robert was going to step in, the Indian took him in his arms, and gazed tenderly into his face. Then he said, "'Now go. You are a man.' "'Good-bye. Good-bye, friend,' said Glenarvan once more. "'Shall we never see each other again?' Paginot called out. "'Kin sabe. Who knows?' replied Thalcave, lifting his arms toward heaven. These were the Indian's last words, dying away on the breeze, as the boat receded gradually from the shore. For a long time his dark, motionless silhouette stood out against the sky, through the white dashing spray of the waves. Then by degrees his tall form began to diminish in size, till at last his friends of a day lost sight of him altogether. An hour afterward Robert was the first to leap on board the Duncan, he flung his arms around Mary's neck, amid the loud, joyous hurrahs of the crew on the yacht. Thus the journey across South America was accomplished, the given line of march being scrupulously adhered to throughout. Neither mountains nor rivers had made the travellers change their course, and though they had not had to encounter any ill-will from men, their generous intrepidity had been often enough roughly put to the proof by the fury of the unchained elements. End of Book One